Hey there, this is John from PureAndSimpleBible.com. Welcome back to the program. So happy you're here. So thankful for Brother Brett Hickey, who's going to join us today once again to talk about a subject from Matthew chapter 5 that is so important for you and me. Going the extra mile, being a second mile Christian, and what it meant uh, in, in the Bible whenever they talked about it, how it fit historically, and how you and I can apply second mile Christianity to our lives. Let's just jump in to a great conversation with Brett Hickey on second mile Christianity. Well, I'm back with Brett Hickey, who's joined me once again for another episode on the podcast. I'm very thankful for you and for your work. And as we introduce this episode, I'd like to begin by framing what we're going to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, which was probably the most famous and should be the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. And when you look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7, uh, you know, there's so many different topics that are addressed specifically, but also things that we could take secondhand, ways to apply these things through our life. There's just a lot of general principles for wide application. And the the way that Jesus is 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 preaching this he's placing a premium on the love the love that we have for God the love that we have for others and it's not just the fluffy and hollow love that one might say casually in our culture today but mm-hmm. rather it's this high standard uh, that he is putting on his disciples and on the first generation of the church so that uh, the people around them are going to notice that they're different. They're going to observe that this is a peculiar, a unique people. And in some ways, it's even hard for them to comprehend uh, this faith that Jesus is preaching. And so I'd like to read it first. Um, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 41 through 47. It's a you know, few verses, but I invite you all to pay attention as we discuss this scripture that helps us understand second-mile Christianity. It says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you and do good for those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do? Do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And so with that scripture, uh, we're going to zero in on that challenge of verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And when we never consider what that means, you know, the second mile, uh, we really miss a lot of important uh, life principles and practices. And so we're going to look at God's divine expectation for us going the second mile. So, Brett, welcome back. Thank you for being with me again. And I'm wondering if you can begin by giving me some context to this scripture. Help me understand what the second mile meant to those people whenever Jesus said it to them in the first century. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, when you said higher standard, I was thinking that's exactly the right word. Throughout this sermon, it's like Jesus is saying, 
forget everything you've been hearing. Um, they've got it, all, not all of it, but so much of it wrong. Let me tell you what the real standard is. Mm-hmm. They got in a habit of making shortcuts and looking for loopholes. And Jesus is saying, this is the way God wants you to be. And so Jesus is telling them, instead of looking to see how little you can do, start looking at it differently. Ah. Look at how much you can do, trying to do more, going um, the extra mile. Uh, And this is a real challenge for me as a Christian. I've been a Christian um, about 35 years. And when every time I reflect on this sermon, I say, oh, man, I've got (laughs) some work to do here. I've got to get my mind right. I've got to think more like Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do. Okay. Um, There are several commentators and historians who might give us some historical background to going the extra mile. Uh, What are some things that you learned in this study that are helpful for us to appreciate that phrase specifically, going the extra mile, going the second mile? Yes. Um, James Morrison writes, the word that is translated shall compel to go is of Persian origin and has reference to a postal arrangement that was much admired by the Greek historians. A postal arrangement? Yeah. Okay. When they were wanting to ship something, move something, um, the horses, horses and riders um, were kept for the purpose of carrying forward the royal mails on the principle of delays. And so whenever they needed to move something, if they needed you or they needed your animal to help transport it, then they could just say, hey, we need you. We need your animal. And it was like uh, they confiscated it until they were able to accomplish what needed to be done. It's just like the indentured Pony Express. Yeah, right. So you're going to go not from city city A to city B, but just a point along the road. You know, they're going to have stations set up and... If they needed you or your animal, they could compel you to go to the next one? Yes. Okay. That's my understanding. Okay. Um, I think about uh, that practice. You mentioned Jack Morrison saying that the the Greek historians admired it. Well, it seems to have made its way into the Roman practice as well. So uh, in Palestine, according to Jack P. Lewis, uh, in the first century, a Roman soldier could force a civilian to carry his luggage. I remember somebody telling me, although at the top of my head, I can't recall. So I'll give the credit to my dad. We'll just say he preached it several years ago. But I think um, they would tap you with their spear. Hmm. And that that was symbolically what it meant was just by that general tapping of the spear. Here's my pack. Hmm. And you need to carry it one mile. And uh, so with that in mind, um, I don't think there's going to be very many people who want to carry it longer than they have to. I mean, you're being forced by somebody, especially if it's a Roman and a Jewish person in the first century. This is an occupying force. This isn't your friend. This is an enemy. Uh, They're compelling you to go a distance with a very heavy object, and it's really probably inconveniencing you and your day and your activities. Jesus is now saying, go the extra mile. What does he mean by that? He's wanting us to totally change our attitude towards others, and he wants us to have um, a less selfish disposition. Well, what's in this for me? 
How is this going to help me? How is it going to benefit me? He wants us to think about other people. And this is a, a major change. I think, is there any generation at any time that's ever been more me-oriented than we are? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, that's not the way it's going to be. We've got to, we've, you are following me, mm-hmm. as he goes on to say. Really, I think what's happening in, in so much of what we read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 um, Jesus is setting the standard right this is early in his ministry and then we see his ministry and what does he do he practices oh. what he preaches and so then we see it modeled in his life we see not only the verbal teaching but we see it in action and uh, as we'll get to more later you want to follow me you want to be my disciple well you got to do what I would do right and so he's uh, he's setting that up early on. Well, you're making me think about Matthew 16, verse 24. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's the opposite of a me-oriented worldview or a me-oriented generation where you are actively seeking to deny yourself and and follow Jesus. So when I take that uh, image and I apply it to the Roman and the Jewish person, Jesus is telling that Jewish person that at the end of the first mile, when the Roman soldier expects you to drop the pack, mm-hmm. keep hiking, and, and go with them another mile, which is very inconvenient, but man, what an impression you're going to make on this person who is really confused that you are going above and beyond when you don't have to. Uh our influence seems to be greater in the second mile than it was in the first mile. Absolutely. I I think about, I believe it was President Lincoln who one time said, the best way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. Mm. And with this type of a a response to what seems like an unreasonable demand, all of a sudden people are going to look at you like, this person is different. What makes him so different? and can lead naturally into telling them about Jesus as the one who has changed your life. Let me, can I just say something? Of course. I, I think no, it's, you can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I think it's interesting that we have got people that will form wooden crosses and will walk for miles. I've heard of people walking across the country with a literal cross around their back. And this is a demonstration of how determined they are to be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, when I read Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, People are missing the point. And there's, there's so much emphasis on the literal doing of it that they, I wonder, are they really denying themselves? That's really the thrust of what Jesus is trying to get across here. He's not expecting us to die on an actual cross, but he is expecting us to have a similar type attitude of self-denial that led Jesus to the cross. I'm falling into the same mindset of the people that tried to obey the letter of the law because, you know, if it's just one mile, if it's just two miles, Mm. if it's the letter of the law then I'm not going to accomplish much by literally doing it just to the extra mile. Obviously, there's a figurative 
or a symbolic element meant here for me to to go above and beyond the call of duty mm-hmm. and that includes with bearing a cross obviously um you know if, if the lord called for me to die on a cross i would want to obey but when i look at that command in matthew 16 i see beyond taking up a wooden cross is bearing a life where it's no longer i who live but it's going to be jesus who lives right and it's going to be him first instead of me and so those burdens that I'm bearing, uh, I'm going to go the extra mile in every way. But I have to bear the burdens that belong to me. Uh, I'm trying to bear the, the cross that belongs to me instead of uh, wishing to have somebody else's cross or somebody else's burdens. Comment on that for a bit, if you will. Just, I guess, uh, being satisfied with the cross that I'm meant to bear versus looking at somebody else and saying, well, theirs is lighter. Well, theirs looks easier. How come I have this one? Why do I have to go through this? It doesn't seem right or fair. Yeah, it's always easy for us to look at someone else, and just on the surface it appears like, man, they've got such an easy life. If only I could carry their cross, then, um, boy, that, that sure would be easy. Maybe we could, if there was some way I could work out a trade, <laughs> you know. But uh, when it gets down to it, a lot of times if we really knew the difficulties and challenges that others were enduring, well, we would run the other way. One, <laughs> right. one thing that I've seen, the uh, people that go around all the time with the long faces, it may not be this way all the time, but the ones with the longest faces and they're moaning and groaning, they often seem to be the ones with the smallest right. burdens when I get more acquainted with their situation. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that just you know have such a good attitude and always smiling and positive man these people when you get to know what's going on in their life it's amazing what they've been enduring and uh so uh, be thankful for the cross that you have god knows exactly which cross is best for me and he knows which one is best for you i think about uh a dear sister and friend at our home congregation her grandmother who has passed away a few years ago had a very severe form of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. It -hmm. crippled her body. Um, You can tell from meeting her based just on her body that that, that she was in pain, but you would never know it Mm -mm. based on her smile. That woman was so happy and she was so positive. And the burden that she had been given, I don't know if I will ever know that kind of physical pain, but she's like you were talking about, she never had a long face. She always wore a smile, and she was always willing to brighten the room, never wanting to uh, take advantage of somebody's sympathy by showing that long face. So, yeah, that's uh, somebody that I look to as a great example of bearing the cross and going the second mile. I know that same individual, (laughs) and so impressive. You know, as evangelists, we enjoy preaching. Right. And sometimes we have a considerable audience and the opportunity to influence each other for right. Uh, we cherish that opportunity. But people like this mm-hmm. preach much more eloquent sermons than we do without ever stepping into the pulpit. They really get what Christ is talking about in this passage. And um, I, I'm sure they'll bring some, some people to tears and make people think and consider the gospel who would otherwise never consider coming to hear one of us preach. Right. I agree. Well, when we look in John chapter 13, 
uh, we're seeing a good example of going the extra mile. Uh, it's not bearing a cross, literally, but it's foot washing, mm. right? And so yeah. here we have this example of Jesus as the Lord and Savior and the master of these people and of us. We see him as the master uh, putting on the servant's uh, garments and washing his disciples' feet. And what an excellent example of going the extra mile, right? He didn't have to. Yes. He, of all, had the right to tell somebody else to go and do it, and yet he goes the extra mile by putting it on. And we see him wash Peter's feet, who would deny him. We see him wash Judas' feet, who would betray him. And so what a, this amazing example of going the extra mile is, is even when you know that you're not going to be rewarded for it, but rather the opposite might happen, um, you want to do that extra thing for the Lord. And if somebody were to say, yeah, but I mean, Jesus is perfect. Of mm. course he's going to do those things. What would you tell them? How would you help motivate somebody that's maybe skeptical of John 13? Well, first of all, when I read this passage and I reflect on you know, just what you were sharing, um, it is so convicting. And it's helped me because I've been in situations where I feel like people maybe have not conducted themselves right. And, you know, the human tendency is separate from what Jesus is teaching here is if somebody's not treating you right, then, you know, you don't have to treat them right. But mm -hmm. this passage is so convicting because it says it doesn't really matter who they are or how they're acting or how they have acted. You serve them. You have a humble spirit towards them. And you brought up the point where somebody said, yeah, that was Jesus. He's the son of God. <laughs> What'd you expect? He's perfect. Right. Yeah. But the apostle Paul uh -huh. was far from perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, public enemy number one in the church for the first five or so years. Right. But look at how boldly he took up his own cross. He knew about the second mile, the third <laughs> and beyond. He was repeatedly in prison, but he kept carrying his cross he'd fall into the weight of it and get back up repeatedly beaten in different ways he never cried uncle repeatedly at death's door repeatedly shipwrecked pelted with stones and left for dead all of this and more we find in first second corinthians 11 verse 23 and 28 but he labored on instead of murmuring and complaining he wrote in second corinthians 4 therefore we do not lose heart two verses earlier he's talking about the grace of god he felt it he got it he understood it even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day and that's what he's talking about in this whole passage there's a part of our insides uh, beyond the flesh there's a capacity that we have to be like jesus no we're not ever going to be sinless but we have the ability to have a heart like Jesus. And mm -hmm. when we develop that capacity, <laughs> we have an empowered influence uh, similar to that that Jesus had. When we just act like everybody else, it's kind of like what we read, wasn't in the first passage, Matthew 5, verse 48. Yeah, big deal. If people <laughs> treat you nice, you treat them nice. Everybody right. does that. Right. I mean, only, only the insane are going to be mean to those who treat them right. Mm -hmm. But that's just that's par and we're following Christ and 
that's what gets people's attention Mm -hmm. and that's what gets God's attention when he sees that we really are trying to follow the example of Jesus. Second Corinthians four, he goes on to say, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We've got to focus on the things which we can't see with our eyes. We've got to focus on the potential in those individuals that may be mistreating us. If they're taking advantage of us and instead of snarling, instead of retaliating, we are gracious to them. You know, it's not going to be very many times that that occurs that all of a sudden they say, you know what? This isn't fun anymore. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. And what's going on with that guy? Why is he acting this way? Why isn't he acting and reacting like everybody else? There's something different there. And it's going to move people to want to find out what exactly that is, who that is that's making a difference. Well, you're going to have to come back next week if you want to listen to the second part of this great conversation with Brett about Second Mile Christianity. It is so essential to our faith that we put on Jesus Christ and we walk as he walked. This is such a great example for all of us to do, whether we're young or old, male or female, whatever our background might be, we can all go that second mile and and put on that principle that Jesus has asked us to do. So I hope you'll consider that and you'll come back next week as we finish up this great conversation. I'd like to also plug www.pureandsimplebible.com. There's a lot of great resources there. There's new study material for you to look at, to add to your library, both online. You can download it. You can print it. Videos. There are workbooks. There are study courses to use. There's booklets that can be used. There's a lot of stuff. And I ask for you to please check it out whenever you have time. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me.